Hi, it's your favorite former U.S. men's national team player, Jimmy Conrad. And while there's no football being played, I'm going to catch up on all the episodes I missed of that one show where I know I'm smarter and funnier than the hosts, BR Football Ranks. Hello listeners and welcome to BR Football Ranks, your football oasis in this current desert climate. My name is Jack Collins and I will be your host today. And with me, as ever, Mr. Sam Tai. How are you, sir? Hello, mate. Yes, I'm good. Thank you. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Thank you. It does seem that football might be back on the horizon, but we will get to that a little bit later. And Mr. Dean Jones, how are you, sir? Okay, mate. Yeah, 50 odd days of isolation, still going strong. So um, can't hope for much more than that, really, can we? Absolutely. I have my 51st different shirt, football shirt of isolation on today. Real Betis third. Impressive, man. Unbelievable stuff. I'm really pleased with this innings. I'm not going to lie to you. It's, you know, it's been difficult at times, but uh, we've got through it. The days... I think about 10 days. I think we're going to have to stop around 60. Um, but I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good with that. It's been a good shift. But Sam, what have you been up to? Honestly, not that much. Um, I've treated the decking in my garden. That was bra- oh, backbreaking work, lads. Honestly, really You're actually tough. such a grown up now. I know, I know, but it's got to be done. You know, 18 months since I treated it and the, the sun had warped the colour and you could see it. So we, we gave it a bit of treatment considering painting the fence. Um so yeah, proper grown up stuff. Other than that, I watched Star Wars 9 for the first time. I watched it on on May the 4th, fittingly. Uh, took me this long to pluck up the courage to do it because I was so disappointed by episode 8. Episode 9 was okay. They just, such a big hole that they dug themselves into. I feel like the directors did a decent enough job considering the shit sandwich that they were left by the previous ones. So uh, well done to them for that. But overall, a completely pointless final trilogy. They could have just left it at six. I also haven't watched number nine, but I was planning to do so on Friday, which is a bank holiday in the UK because they've released it on Sky now. So I can just watch it, which is good. Uh, Dean, you're not a Star Wars fan, are you? I've never seen any Star Wars film, uh, but I did try the other day, like completely by coincidence from this conversation. But um, I thought, right, I've never seen Star Wars. I've got some time here. Uh, So I went to bed. And I put on the first Star Wars film made in, what, 1975 or something? Watched four minutes of it. I was just like, I was literally laughing to myself. I was like, I cannot watch this. Like, I just can't. This is terrible. I'm sure at the time it was great. Um, but watching that back now in 2020 just doesn't work. So I'm afraid I'm just, I don't think I'm ever going to watch Star Wars. Yeah, no, it's a, it's, um, it's, it's a problem, I guess. It is it's a big a problem. one to pick up now. Yeah. Anyway, but so Maybe. I've had to stick with Ozark and um, that has actually led to some really weird dreams. And actually, the other night, um, I thought my wife was going to attack me. So uh, that was that was a weird moment. So I left that for a couple of days and started watching The Last Dance um, about Chicago Bulls, which is actually really good. So um, that oh, was, I've, seen, I've seen the first episode of that and I immediately then watched Space Jam. I didn't watch the second one. I just watched Space Jam because <laughs> it just made me want to watch that instead. I reckon there's a huge correlation, huge correlation on Netflix at the moment between Last Dance and then bang, straight into Space Jam. I reckon the Space Jam numbers have never been better. I'm actually watching Maradona in Mexico, which is absolute full-on chaos. Uh, And I'm having a very good time. I'm watching it kind of in tandem with Boca Juniors Confidential, which is uh, obviously a four-parter about Boca Juniors. The problem with watching films or documentaries or series in this case uh, that are in Spanish is that 
one, I'm, I'm working on my language skills, which is good. But two, you can't take your eyes off it. Like normally if you're watching a TV program, you can sort of watch it. And then if you look away for a minute, you can still hear it. So it doesn't matter. But yeah. when you're watching something with subtitles, it's actually like very difficult to to look away, which means it's actually <laughs> quite like a it's quite a taxing watch. Although I'm yeah, very much yeah. enjoying both of them. Honestly, so, this um, the other day, my fiance Rachel was baking in the kitchen, and she's trying to watch Money Heist, and she's watching it in Spanish, so you need the subtitles. And she was baking, right? So she was rolling out dough and mixing stuff together. About twenty minutes in, I was like do you actually know what's going on? Because you're not watching it because you're baking and you can't speak Spanish. And she was like, to be fair, no, I am going to have to restart this episode and watch it later. So I put something else on. It's ridiculous. <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> right. Talking of, of putting something else on, it's probably time for us to get round to football. And oh, yeah. we are doing an episode today that, that taps back into the ranks skill set, I think. Basically, what we've decided to do is take a look at five of Europe's young, on-the-brink stars who are on the brink of big money moves. We're going to talk to you, Dean, about where the interest lies, where they look like they might be going. Sam, you're going to walk us through what they're like as players and where you think they might fit best. And I'm basically going to hold the whole thing together. So on that note, Sam, I'm going to chuck to you and you can lay down the parameters. Yeah, so five names, five budding stars, five people that you, you you should probably be aware of heading into the summer. You'll know some of them, maybe a couple you won't. That would be the perfect mix, I think. Um, to be honest with you, the first shortlist I drew up, I just ended up in France. So I decided to just keep the five players to all be located in Liga, And that's because it's going to be a recruiting hotbed this summer, no doubt. It, I mean, it often is, particularly for Premier League clubs, because players from that league tend to transition into the Premier League very, very well. The risks aren't that high. Uh, the physical profile often fits and they're often used to the pace of the game. And to be honest, we're going to start with number five and it's the only player on this list I think will move for less than 40 million euros. So that's the that's the, that's the calibre we're talking. The other five I think are going to be 40 plus. This guy I think you could probably get for 25. So still someone that could well help your side if you're a, if you're a top six Premier League side, is Ibrahim Sangare. He plays for Toulouse, 22-year-old holding midfielder or centre mid. Uh, his team have had a pretty horrid season because, well, they've been relegated officially because obviously Ligue 1 have decided how they're going to sort things out. Toulouse have actually got a case. Uh, they're going to pursue a case against that, but they're way off the pace. Like this team were headed for relegation. But Sangare has managed to stand out in the heart of midfield regardless. If you're thinking that that's not really possible, I'll just point you to the example of Aston Villa's horrendous season with Idrissa Gay in the middle. Everton was smart enough to know that just because Villa were poor doesn't mean there's not talent in there. And Gay, obviously now a star for PSG. That tells its own story. Sangare could be one of those similar stories where he comes out of a really poor side. He's a really, really strong player. He's six foot three. He's quite rangy. He's got a very long stride. And he is pretty much a ball winner and a ball progressor. He's not going to get on the end of crosses. He's not going to get in the box. He's going to play from a deeper position. I think you could work him as a number six, like a Fabinho. I think he's probably, comparison-wise, a bit of a budget Fabinho or maybe like a Dendonka. Um, but good athleticism, long legs, tackles well, passes quite simply, passes forward and passes simply. He's averaging about three and a half successful tackles a game and five passes into the final third. That's pretty good. And he's pretty smooth on the ball. Okay as a dribbler, but does get caught on the ball. And that's his weakness. Now, he is young, 22 has a few things to iron out, and that's definitely one of those. When to carry the ball, when to lay it off. He does get a bit overexcited sometimes and gets dispossessed in some dangerous areas. But if that's all you've really got to say as a negative, 
that's a pretty damn good player. The physical profile checks out. And this is the kind of guy I've just described that, you know, Tottenham could use, Arsenal could use, Man United could use. And at 25-ish million, it's a, probably a, uh, it's a bit of a guess for me, but given Toulouse have been relegated, they're not going to be able to ask for that much more. This is a pretty decent opportunity for a top team to take what is not really that much of a punt and get a player who could solidify the base of their midfield for a long time to come and just kind of hand it off to the better players and just secure things at the back. The type of presence that most clubs need, I would argue. You're right, Liga is a place to go. Summer transfer shopping. I think that we're going to see some really good deals um, there. And this isn't going to be like shopping at Primark or Walmart because <laughs> the production line and the quality of what you're getting is actually really high. So I know that people make fun of Liga and they call it a farmer's league, but every Premier League club puts a lot of time and effort into scouting in France because there is there is real quality to be had at, at good prices. And I mean, Arsenal didn't find that when they overpaid for Nicolas Pepe, but most people do find that. Now, Sangare is a really interesting purchase here for somebody because like Sam says, with 20, 25 million, I think actually Toulouse will end up selling him for less than that because this market is just not helping them at all. The player is 100% going to be looking for a move because they've been relegated. And the financial crisis just isn't going to help their situation. And I imagine they're going to have to look for a buyer. So this is a buyer's market anyway. And particularly in a situation like this, it's a buyer's market. And so I think Toulouse are just going to have to scrap for every possible pound to get out of this deal. I'm told that Arsenal do really like him. They've had him watched many times. I think his valuation obviously is going to suit them as well. And if you think that they've been linked very heavily to Thomas Partey, a deal for a midfielder that is going to cost them around £45 million, that isn't really ideal for Arsenal right now because they are struggling budget-wise. I think they're going to... They're going to feel the effects of behind closed doors football pretty much more than any other Premier League team because they rely so heavily on it. Whereas teams like Man United and Liverpool um, prop up their finances better in terms of commercial revenue. So Arsenal are really going to feel the effects of that. They're trying to offload like six players or so. I've, I've talked about that before. And one of the players that I'm told they're going to try and offload is, is Guendouzi because there's a little bit of a problem there that's um, emerged between him and Arteta. So they are in the market for a central midfielder. Why not try something like this? He's already on your radar. Could suit them perfectly. And what even better suits them is the fact that they can actually go in there and make one of their famous low offers. So (laughs) I think this is a really good time for teams to reimagine the transfer market and almost kind of make up your own deals. And I think that away from just going in and offering, you know, 15 million as a first offer, I think that you can even try and be a bit more inventive I was speaking to one um, contact who who reckons that teams will get inventive. And in a situation like this, you might even offer, say, 10, 15 million pounds. But to help a team like Toulouse, you might say over the period of the next, say, three years, we will help you reemerge in French football by giving you the pick of our best young players in terms of loan deals. So things like that, I think, are going to become really interesting in the next transfer window. Clubs are going to have to get clever and at a time when Arsenal don't have much money, I think that the opportunity to sign a player like this could be really, really interesting. Sounds like Gwendouzi's being sent to Ligue 2 on loan, Dean. <laughs> I'm not sure I'll fall quite that far, but yeah. Back from whence you came. Yes. <laughs> Let's move on to number four then, Sam. Okay, number four is Victor Ozzyman, uh, Lille striker. Now, he's only been at Lille, I mean, less less than a year. I mean, he was signed from from the Belgian League last uh, last summer. 
from Charleroi. <laughs> is that how you say that? <laughs> I think it, I think you've done an okay job there, Charleroi. This is the work of sporting director Lewis Campos, who we talked about last week um, as someone that I would actually put in charge of the entire Newcastle redevelopment. He's the man that built that crazy Monaco side with Bernardo Silva and Fabinho and Mbappe. You know, we put his name up in lights and he's been excellent for Lille. Uh, over the course of the last year or so. And Ozymen is one of the players that he has signed. And we've already seen that success. To 18 goals this season. He's fourth highest scorer in Liga. He's level with Neymar there. And he is an exhilarating combination of finishing, movement, speed and strength. So he's got this kind of breakaway speed that allows him to run in behind defences. He's got a 1v1 finishing ability that sees him produce all sorts of different finishes off his right foot. And he keeps chipping goalkeepers. He's so assured going in one-on-one. Um, he's got a work rate as well that puts so many strikers, I think, to shame. I, I could barely think of a striker who presses as much as he does outside of the typical kind of Roberto Firmino's. And like Lil know how to play to his strengths. So he likes to make this run over, across the face of the centre-backs where he, he moves sideways or horizontally and then slips into the gap between the centre-backs or the centre-back and the full-back. He knows when to do that. The timing with the midfield is so good. And if you don't press Lil's midfielders, so that's Renato Sanchez or Bubakari Sumare. They will play that ball. And three seconds later, that ball will be in the net. Like he is, he is that automatic. He's very, very good. And he creates some of his own chances as well, just through all of that pressure. I found a really cool stat on him, actually. Um, he's made the most pressures in the final third in Liga this season out of anyone. So that's pressing or harassing uh, a player who ha- an opposition player who has the ball or is receiving the ball who is in his own defensive third Ozymen is just after them he's done it 252 times so far this season he just doesn't stop running and doesn't stop working there have been a couple of goals this year where he's just latched onto just a bad back pass or just a ball that has been played from a full back back towards a centre back and he's just nipped in he's just constantly closing those angles it's such a valuable trait to have as well as the 1v1 finishing the combination of the speed and the size to have that work ethic in a player like that is so attractive to so many people which means again he just feels like he'd fit so many teams now the one drawback may be that people will not want to spend money on him given he's had at the moment less than a season but for the purposes of the summer one season in a European top five league obviously he did fine in Belgium he's done really well in the Champions League and Ligue 1 this season there might be a little bit of hesitancy but if someone were to take that plunge they might just get that kind of Vardy for Mino combination that let's be honest everybody wants mate honestly it sounded like you were describing a young Jamie Vardy there that's that's the yeah. kind of the the player is looking at Dean where's the interest here who's looking at Victor Osimhen honestly this player is getting linked with absolutely everyone at the moment like you can't open up a gossip page um without seeing his name on the, on there because he clearly has taken um, everybody's fancy because of his his style of play and I mean, just this week, Telefoot have claimed that there's been an 85 million euro bid for him um, and they haven't named who, who put in that bid. Now, personally, I don't believe that there has been an 85 million euro bid because I don't think that any clubs right now are making bids like that because you don't know in this climate what a player is worth. So making a bid for a player like that in the last week just seems nonsensical. Um, I would say that if Lille get 160 million euros for... Aussie men and Nicholas Pepe, then Luis Campos des- deserves some sort of an award because that's absolutely <laughs> unbelievable stuff. Um, <laughs> you could look at it two ways, really. I mean, uh, are Lille becoming like the ultimate production line for, for bigger clubs, possibly? Or are clubs going to be a little bit deterred because of the fact that 
Pepe was clearly overpriced um, and hasn't produced yet at Arsenal. Um, are they going to be put off a little bit? I'm not sure. I mean, Liverpool are linked, Chelsea are linked, Napoli are linked, AC Milan have been linked as well in the past. And if you go back a year um, when he joined, the only two teams in the Premier League that were seriously interested in signing him were Southampton and Watford. And I actually think he would have been great signing for both of those teams. And and still right now, if you were to make the transition into the Premier League, I still think that that tier of club wouldn't be a bad place for you to be heading. But... Obviously, he now has a bigger profile. Um, while I don't think he'll go for 85 million euros, I, I imagine he'll go for more than 50 million. I'll probably rule those clubs out. And I just think if you're looking at the sides that are being linked right now, I would have to say that all of his traits, for me, fit what Lamp- Lampard is looking for in a striker at Chelsea. I think that he values work rate probably more than any other manager apart from Jurgen Klopp. I think Hazard that, mental, maybe. yeah, maybe, yeah. But if you're ruling them out on basis of what he's going to cost, yeah. um, I think that Chelsea could be a really good fit. They are on the market for a striker right now, and they are really trying to work out exactly what they want in a striker. Moussa Dembele has obviously been discussed a lot. I'm sure we'll talk about him during this podcast, but um, they're really trying to figure out what is the perfect foil for their, for their side right now. What What is the perfect number nine for them? Um, maybe it's Aussie men. I don't know. I mean, I, I think, though, that it certainly is going to become a possibility. And I think that we need to bear in mind all these clubs that we're mentioning are largely in the Premier League, and that's still going to be where the money is. I know that the Premier League clubs are saying that um, things are going to be tight. Well, it's not going to be as tight for them as it is for other clubs around Europe. Um, and I think that some of them will see this as an opportunity to kind of get hold of talent like this when others are possibly struggling to do so. So that's why I think during this conversation, a lot of Premier League clubs are still going to be mentioned because I do still think that a lot of them are in a decent position, especially ones like Chelsea, who have got a bit in the bank from the sale of Hazard. As I was drawing up the like little list of, of maybe teams that could that could take Ozyman or, or could be interested in him just on my own document. Um one thing occurred to me is that he he might actually end up being the kind of uh, almost like a contingency piece for whichever club needs a striker. And it's like it's almost he's almost like a like a, a break break glass in case of emergency. Like if Leicester, you know, if something happened to Vardy or Leicester decided that they needed to appropriately back up Vardy, I think they should look at him. If Wolves lost Raul Jimenez Wolves should sign him. Man United should just sign him. Leon, if they lost Musa Dembele, should look at Ozymen. Gladbach, if you lost Marcus Turam, should sign Ozymen. And I, f- I wonder if he just falls into the, I mean, maybe because Dean's saying, you know, 85 million euro bid, maybe, maybe not, and things like that. I just kind of got this feeling that he's like the second domino. So once the first one falls, he becomes a target for whoever loses their striker. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the things you mentioned there, Napoli being interested, makes sense. You know, Drews Mertens is, is starting to run out of gas in the same way that Jamie Vardy is. And those two were the were the ones that stood out. You know, if it's if it's Leicester bringing him in to be with Countryman, Kelechi and Nacho, obviously, um, and form some sort of tandem of those two as Vardy finally sort of starts to bow out. The problem is he doesn't seem to be slowing down, I guess. And, and that's something you can't really plan for if you're bringing in a striker at 85 million you know euros but napoli yeah. if they have money makes sense obviously mertens's contract is up in the summer um and he's been that kind of high press of the top three for them for, for such a long time um and obviously gets in behind it is lethal 
one-on-one it does seem like that would be a very very natural fit for him yeah that does seem nice i didn't consider napoli but that's my bad uh i think that is a nice one just on a not to peel off too much of a tangent but when i was watching aussie men's goals and shots back uh to refresh myself on him before recording this i watched his brace against lesotho in an africa uh, cup of nations qualifier that was in november and it just kind of struck me as to what a little team that nigeria are building i mean they've got their they've got the stalwarts and you've got your iwobis and your atibos the guys that were at the world cup they've got indeedy aussie men Ola Aina's coming good and Chukweze at Villarreal, who we've talked about before as well. This is like they've they're building a, the core of a very, very good team, Nigeria. And Aussie Men is going to be the spearhead of it, I think. Please don't forget my namesake Jamilu Collins as well. Potentially my favorite player in the world. Um, <laughs> all right, let's go on to number three. All right, number three. I did briefly mention him a few minutes ago uh, in the what if section for Aussie Men. It is Musa Dembele, who we also talked about as a potential kind of signing for for a Newcastle United in a rebuild. So Moussa Dembele is 23 years of age now, uh, plays for Lyon, is on the fringes of the French national team. And, you know, if a team were to look at Ozzy Men and go, well, he's very good, but, you know, he's got one season in a top five league. It's been a productive one, but I'm not 100% sure on this and maybe not quite ready to pull the trigger on a guy who you may need to prove things out a little bit more. Dembele's record is more solid. Like since 2015, he's got league seasons, league scoring seasons of 15, 17, 9, 15, and 16. In the one that he only got nine, I think he only started 17 games and he managed to get seven assists anyway to bulk it out. Now, I appreciate that's Championship Scotland, France, but this is a guy who has almost managed his own career trajectory masterfully. He's gone Fulham, Celtic, Leon, proved himself at every level, has got the goals to back it up and is probably ready for that next step again. And so you look at the numbers and you say, all right, that's good. So let's turn on the film and ask, what does he do well? You know, how does he move? And the truth is he, he basically does everything well. And I was speaking to Jack ahead of recording to try and find a good comparison for him. And we really struggled with it because that are just not that many players who have the sort of variation to his game. He has the, the range of finishes. Uh, he can score with his feet and with his head. He's strong on and off the ball. He's quick. He's got good burst. He can dribble round players and kind of slalom around them. He sniffs out space and he attacks space really well. He runs in behind and he receives with his back to goal. All of these traits, usually you only get like three of them rather than six in a player. It's yeah. really valuable when you when you can put them all together into one player because all rounders like that just aren't really that common. And in terms of a comparison, we ended up with we're kind of Tammy Abraham. Um, you know, maybe if you merged Raul Jimenez with Rodrigo of Valencia, you might get Dembele. Uh, maybe if Firmino made more runs in behind and played more of a traditional game than he does at Liverpool, then you might get something approaching a Firmino. All of these comparisons are very, very positive. And when you see him being linked to, we got linked to Chelsea last summer, and I'm sure he's going to get linked again, Dean, you'll be able to tell us in a moment. But if 85 million for Aussie men felt like overkill, then... 70 for Dembele or whatever whatever the, the, the figures that are going to be featured are probably isn't no absolutely not he's Musa Dembele is a player that I've watched for a long long time um funny enough with him playing for Fulham and Celtic but everywhere he's gone he's just done the business and and from a very very young age you know he was he was rushed into the the Fulham first team when when Fulham were relegated to the championship as part of a strike duo with Ross McCormack and single-handedly, the two of them kept the club in the division, basically, in what was a dreadful season. And he was, you know, 19 years old at that point. And he just 
banged in goals for fun. He doesn't ever seem phased. He then went to to Celtic and, you know, whatever you think of the Scottish League, playing at Celtic Park in front of that kind of rabid a crowd, in, in front of one of the most passionate crowds in Europe is a big stage and there's a lot of people who go there and freeze and Dembele took it in his stride. He immediately clicked with the fans, with the club, with the city and, and really did make a whole thing of it and then has gone to Leon and has just carried that on. And like you say, Sam, his trajectory has been just perfectly managed. Obviously, it's it's sad when you watch a player leave a club on a free contract and I know Fulham, Dean, will tell you further, were, were pretty angry about the fact that they lost him for absolute peanuts when they knew what quality they had in that kind of player but you know if you look at the way he's managed those steps when when there's been quite a lot of interest you know not necessarily concrete but people have been talking about him since those Fulham days well since his youth level days really where he was part of a Fulham side that went to the FA Youth Cup final that played against that famous Chelsea youth side which now you see so many of you know playing in the Premier League or in and around the Premier League Uh, and I think that I was at that game. I was at that game. It was a lot of fun. It was about seven six. It was um, it was a a lot of fun. I was also there. But it's one of those things that you know he he's done everything, taken everything in his stride. He just doesn't seem to be phased by anything. And I think it is time for him to hit. You know, Lyon are a Champions League level club, one of the biggest clubs in France. And so to you know not to take away anything from Lyon, who but it's time to him to hit the very very top I think now yeah I mean honestly he I don't really see any team that he could join and not be a success in to be honest because he has proved himself at every level like Jack I'd I'd heard of him even before I'd seen him at Fulham because they used to rave about him in in the youth setup Um, and he's just impressed every time he's made that step forward and he is now ready to, to move move up a notch and go and test himself at the very top. I mean, he's, he's played a bit of Champions League football now. That's a nice stepping stone. Now, could he go and play Champions League football for a bigger side? I think, yes, he can. Chelsea is an interesting one because they, they did make an offer for Dembele in January. Um, they weren't willing to go quite to Leon's valuation. I mean, Sam mentioned £60 million there. I think Chelsea offered around half that in, in January to try and get him out. Um Leon weren't interested at all and, and made it clear that he would be staying and seeing out the season and that they hoped for for even longer than that. Um, now, in that time that's passed, I've one of the things I've been told is that actually Lampard's having a bit of a rethink over whether they should pursue him at the figures that they're going to have to pay, which is going to be 50 million plus, because one of his concerns is... One, how it impacts Tam- Tammy Abraham. Um, and two, whether he's actually different enough from Abraham to go and spend that kind of money on. Um, and I think that that is a really interesting point of view. One of um, the things to consider with Lampard is that he's building a squad um, with a long-term vision, but he wants short-term results, obviously, because he needs to keep himself in a job. So while you've seen him integrate youth, while it was kind of no risk, you're not going to see him make risky signings um, because he needs to make sure that next season he either wins something or is very close to doing that. Now, not that I'm saying that he would see Dembele as a risk, but Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang has now emerged as a player that is going to be on the transfer market. And from what I'm told anyway, Lampard thinks that they would be better off spending £60 million on Aubameyang than they would a little bit less on Moussa Dembele. So I think that that's something to consider and, and look out for. And if they do pull out of the race and, and look for other options, then there will be the op- option of, of Newcastle when their rebuild comes around. 
or there might be Man United on the table. I mean, we'll have to wait and see on that because they are prioritising a couple of other things first. But fixing that central striker position is something that Solskjaer wants to do. Um, obviously, they're looking at Sancho and, and Jack Grealish first and, and a couple of other younger players that they want to just um, cement and make sure those deals are done. But that still won't fix the fact that Man United need an out-and-out goal scorer. And I think that at a time when Harry Kane's being valued at £200 million, um, you could do a lot, lot worse than, than to go and spend £50 million on Dembele. So, like I said, I think a lot of teams will be looking at him because he is almost, um, he's almost guaranteed route to goal. I think he will score wherever he goes. It's just a case of who's going to have the money. Could it be Juve? Could it be PSG? Possibly. I mean, if those positions open up at those clubs, then I think they'll be in for him. But um, it's just going to be a really interesting to see where he lands. And if he lands at your team this summer, honestly, be really excited because watching him and seeing the chances that he makes for himself and the type of goals that he scores from um, other people opening up opportunities for him is just something to behold. United should buy him, obviously. And if Arsenal lose a Bamiyang, then Arsenal should buy him as well. And, you know, (laughs) Chelsea could use him. But if they want a Bamiyang, fine, fair enough. I also think like, you know, if the time comes and... I mean, if somehow Dortmund lost Haaland after six months, then they should buy him. If, yeah, Leipzig, yeah. lose Ver- if Leipzig lose Werner, they should buy him. Like, there are going to be opportunities here for Dembele. Um, there are going to be five or six potential landing spots for him with clubs that are they play at a top level and have the money to buy him. And because he's so well-rounded, you he could just kind of go anywhere. Like, if you ask him to run in behind all game, fine. If you ask him to hold the ball up and bring it into play, fine. Get on the end of crosses, no problem. Create your own chances, Absolutely no problem as well. Like he, as I say, it's so rare to find a player that can do pretty much anything you want. They're worth they're worth a lot of money for a good reason. He's almost like again, we'll go back to this comparison thing, but like there's kind of what the sort of phraseology I would use for Lacazette before he just totally slowed down. Mm. And you know, maybe the same argument applies. He's too similar to Lacazette, but I actually don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because then if one's injured, you don't have to change your entire ga- game plan. Uh, but any of those clubs could could use him and, and would be, and would be would be lucky to have him. I think. I mean, his all roundedness makes me think of almost a David Villa. I, I think that's kind of the the level that he could get to if we're being perfectly honest. Blimey! Uh, I, I, honestly, I have unbelievable amounts of hope for for Moussa Dembele. <laughs> I, I think he is going right to the very top. And and you know, like you say, Sam, it. He could go anywhere. If Barcelona are looking for a, you know, an heir to Luis Suarez, they could do a lot worse. Now, I know Barcelona don't have any money, um, so therefore Barcelona are not going to be buying him for 50-odd million. But you know, if, if you're looking at those kind of, of clubs, and, and that's the kind of calibre of player I genuinely think we're dealing with here. And you know, it's, it's interesting what you say about Tammy, because, because Sam and I were discussing earlier you know, how to compare him to, to someone. And actually what we said was a more rounded, neater version of Tammy Abraham in terms of the way, the stylistic nature of their game. I think obviously Lampard's main thing with that will be like, is he the experience um, of Albamiang and the proven record is probably something that he would just like on board right now um, ahead of another young player. I mean, Debele's 23, so I know he's not super young, but he's still relatively inexperienced at the top level in terms of expecting to win every single week. So I, I think that that's probably where that's coming from, just the fact that there's somebody else that's potentially available. I still don't know if, if it's actually feasible that Albamiang would join Chelsea. I don't know if if that deal can really come through, even even with the interest. But I definitely think it's something that Chelsea are pursuing before 
they turn back to somebody like Dembele. Okay, Sam, let's move things on. Yeah, on to number two. And I'm actually just going to throw it straight to you, Jack, because I actually think you could do a better job of articulating this man's genius than I can. And I don't say that lightly because I'm very good at it. It's Hussam Awa, a 21-year-old midfielder, wizard at Lyon. Jack, off you go. Yeah, one of those players that on an aesthetic level to begin with is just a glorious watch. And I think there's there's always players that, you know, look really good and don't really do anything. And Hussam Awa is just not one of those players. It's very easy to to look at a player like this and, and think, oh, he's five foot seven, he's tricky, he can dribble, he's a 10. And I don't think he is. I think he very much is the eight that he wears on his back, the eight that he obviously inherited from Corentine to Liso, but famously at Lyon is known for, for Janino's shirt. And I think that given what we're talking about, Hussein Awar, and we, we talked about him a little bit last week, he's available for 50 million euros, is the kind of chatter on the market uh, from Lyon. And I think that for that kind of price, every single top club in the world should be scrambling over themselves to get his signature on their books because he is that good. He's an elegant, two-footed, brilliant passer of the ball, a beautiful watch, but also his kind of dribbling and maneuverability is a little bit Frankie de Jong-esque in some ways, in the way that he's able to just sort of wiggle himself out of tight situations and then find the correct pass. And the thing with Awar is that he just very rarely makes the wrong decision in terms of where he's passing the ball. Yes, occasionally he dribbles himself into a corner or is unable to get through a kind of situation that he sticks in. But when he's actually looking for the pass, he very, very rarely makes the wrong decision. And on top of that, he works really, really hard off the ball. He's a proper little terrier at five foot seven. He he tears around making tackles and he's been used out wide on the left for Leon a little bit. But I think in, in more recent years, he's moved back into the centre. He's so much more useful there because he's such a little dynamo. And in many ways, he's a little bit Bernardo Silva. He's a little bit silkier than Bernardo Silva, which is tough for me to say because I love Bernardo. But also his record kind of screams an eight he's 44 appearances seven goals in 17 18 47 appearances and seven goals in 18 19 and then nine goals in 37 this year which is a little bit of an uptake but on top of that his assists his ability to bring others into play and you know the connection he's actually had with Moussa Dembele and and obviously Memphis before his injury it, you know, he's such a good player. And with a French player of Algerian descent like this, it feels lazy to compare him to Zinedine Zidane because this is the obvious comparison. But there is definitely elements of it. You know, the way that he is so elegant on the ball, the way that his touch kind of often defies gravity and his kind of hardworking nature. The other players that I kind of like comparing to a little bit are Moussa Dembele, the first, the Tottenham and, and Fulham player, the Belgian Moussa Dembele, who he'd look up and just sort of like float through a couple of players. He's not as rangy as that Moussa Dembele, but in terms of the way that he sort of glides along with the ball, there's definitely elements of that. And even Jack Grealish, I think, there's, there's you know, he's been played wide, he's been played in the middle. I think going forward, you look at someone who's, who's central, who's able to pick a pass, who's able to dribble their way out of a corner and who's very intelligent going forward. Uh, Dean, I'm sure there's plenty of interest. Yeah, I mean, this is a tough one for Leon. They, they really don't want to lose anyone in the next window, but they've had so many scouts at, at their games watching him and Dembele and, and Memphis that they know something's got to give somewhere along the line. <laughs> they're, they're not going to cling on to all of these players. And it's really tough for a club of their level because just as you build something great, it, it so quickly can fall apart and you know as desperately as you can try and convince them to stay it's so hard to do and you see right now I mean this guy's being linked with really heavily with Liverpool um, right now and 
that's an interesting one to me. I don't see him as their priority. And from what I'm told, you know, it's it's not something that's imminent. I think that um, they're trying to sort out their defence, uh, backups in positions, centrally and at left back, and also trying to get, uh, obviously, Timo Werner through the door as well um, before they look towards something like this. But I think Man City really would like to pursue something here. Um we're looking at a player that's going to cost around £40 million, which may even drop a bit, a bit lower than that in, in this market. Who knows? Definitely feasible. And I think that, you know, the way you're describing him um, fits in with everything else I've been told, to be honest. This is a player who technically um, has very few flaws. Pep Guardiola is a huge admirer of him. He... Um, is looking to rebuild the Man City squad right now. He's trying to look for the right figures um, personality-wise as well as the way that they play on the pitch. And, and I'm told that Alwar is a player that that is really becoming quite central to their vision of what they might try and do in the transfer window. Now, interestingly, you talk about Bernardo Silva. One of Pep's plans is to just um, consistently play Bernardo Silva in a central midfield role next season and push Phil Foden into a wide attacking position instead of, of trying to groom him um, in the middle as he'd been trying previously. Um, the addition of Alwa might change that. I think it's definitely an option he would look to pursue. I think that at Man City, the transition would be almost seamless. Um, from what I've seen of him, it would seem like a really good fit. Obviously, Man City right now waiting to see what happens um, with their Champions League status for next season, but are very confident that um, they're gonna they're gonna certainly get their band decreased at the very least. And I think that the chance for him to progress under Pep Guardiola, if they do go and put an offer in, would be something he would find almost impossible to turn down. I mean, so City, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with the ban yet, but we saw Kevin De Bruyne come out very recently and say, look, two years. I'd have to consider a few things. So City, usually in a position where they're dreaming up short lists of players, you know, in an ideal scenario, for once, they may actually have to have a short list of players to replace Kevin De Bruyne in case, you know, two years and he goes, well, sorry, guys, I can't spend two years outside Champions League level. Now, you could probably get a player from Lyon to replace De Bruyne in that scenario. And so if he's on their shortlist, for whatever reason, great. But it's actually it's not just necessarily about improving your squad there. It's, it may actually be 10% to do with the fact that you might lose a De Bruyne. Um, to, just to add a couple of things to what Jack had been saying, because I think he covered Awa very, very well. Um, it's a player that he seems to really like tight spaces, potentially actually even more than being in space because it gives him the ability to wriggle around, as you say. He gets knocked around a hell of a lot because he's, he's, he's a small guy and he has brilliant balance. And a player that can ride a challenge like Awa and keep his balance as he gets fouled and hacked and pushed is just, it's a very, very valuable player. It's why he's so good in those tight spaces. But it's got, it, it means that he can fit into, into some of the, the most um, well-drilled and disciplined possession systems in the world, which is why you see Man City looking at him. The other uh, team on my list I had was Barca, because like the way Jack described him, who doesn't want one of those players? And the, what, the one comparison that I was going to make, Jack, that, I, that you didn't, was he's a bit Iniesta. He, he, he's a little bit Iniesta. Yeah, no, I thought I thought you might do he's, that. He's a, he's a number eight who can play as a 10 and off the left. When he plays in the centre, he tends to drift out onto the left anyway in those tight spaces. Good dribbling ability, manoeuvrability, creates those overloads. He plays like Iniesta. Now, obviously, that's a huge comparison. 
and let's say that he needs to achieve a hell of a lot to live up to Iniesta. But stylistically, that is what you are looking at. Yeah, absolutely. I think the problem, the thing with our right now, uh, and the the only massive drawbacks I'd have about either of those two teams in in the in City and Barcelona is that I think he needs consistent minutes. And that's not to say he won't get them there, but breaking into a midfield that contains Bernardo Silva and Kevin De Bruyne is no mean feat. Uh, similarly, with with Barcelona setup, I think I think he'd walk into Barcelona's team right now. But there doesn't mean that there isn't you know huge competition for those places still, uh, and there's quite a lot of pressure in in that team. And you know, right now walking into the Barcelona team, which it feels a bit a little bit divided, it feels a bit like a club in chaos. I'm not sure that's kind of what you need at this stage of your career. I mean, yes, it could be the making of him. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, we've seen with, with Artur and with Frankie that things don't necessarily start off as smoothly as they might have hoped at Barca. And and there is quite a lot to learn. So there is that kind of element that holds me back. I think he needs to go somewhere where he is basically a, a linchpin of the team straight away and gets those consistent minutes. And I think that's what will take him to the very, very elite level. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, there's, there's there's not really a scenario here where he can afford to start start taking games off uh, and that will surely impact his decision. The good news for him is that he's so good and apparently available at such a ridiculously low price. Can I just say, like, if if, if, if what Dean says transpires and if you can get Alwa for 40 million, you are looking at one of the bargains of the summer. Uh, I'd say of the decade, but we've just started it. So okay. obviously that's what that means. Um and he, he probably has his choice. He probably gets to pick where he goes. He will have suitors and he'll be able to carefully assess his options and figure out what's right for him. Um, so good for him. <laughs> Great for him. Uh, shall I move into number one? Absolutely. 100%. All right, number one. So we've spoken about this guy a decent amount on this podcast. So I'm actually going to try and keep it a little bit shorter than what you might expect from the number one pick. But we have to include this guy because he is a sensational young player. He's one of the best young defensive midfielders in the game, potentially the best teenage defensive midfielder in the game he's being trapped by Real Madrid and more it's Eduardo Camavinga yeah now for a 17 year old to have almost one entire year of senior football under his belt already suggests something very very exciting and very promising now he doesn't play the most exciting position obviously he is you know in a way sort of like what we what we talked about with Sangare at the top of the show Camavinga is is a serious tackle monster i mean he registers 4.7 successful tackles per game which is just ludicrous really i mean to do that on a, on a weekly basis is 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 crazy to to borrow some nfl scouting lingo he's a ball hawk he's you know the the, the type of players that are close to him in the tackle charts but not quite there as in not quite as good Juan Bissaka and Ndidi, you know, two players that we revere for their tackling ability and, and their ability to shut locations on the pitch down. That's the level we're talking about. I mean, Camavinga eats up ground quickly, aggressively. He tackles someone, he lays it off. He has this thunderous nature in 50-50 challenges that really catches the eye. He gets low down, drops in, wins the ball, passes it off. He's a pretty smooth passer. The technique is there. He's, he's, he doesn't really tend to play it long or switch play very often, but when he does, it's clean and complete. He's just very economical, doesn't make many mistakes, very secure presence on the ball in the heart of midfield, an absolute cruncher of a tackler. And the comparison is Wilfred and Didi. Um, he's a little bit, he's a tiny bit shorter right now, but I think by the time he's fully grown, he's going to be as tall, if not taller than Ndidi. That might mean he ends up as good in the air as Ndidi. And he's already, I think, a better technician on the ball. What I'm telling you is, this guy is going to be unbelievable and he's going to be one of the most 
complete, dominant, and technically assured defensive midfielders in the world. I mean, he's already he's already up there. Like, yeah, he plays for Stade Rene, who are in the top four of Liga. They've been given Champions League football, given that they've they've finished the season. He's a Champions League level player at 17 years of age. I don't know what his ceiling is because we may never have seen it, like genuinely. And yeah, we, we're huge fans on this podcast of, of Florentina Luis of Benfica, uh, a player who you could say similar things about. But Camavinga has overtaken Florentina Luis given given his game time and given his achievements. I think he's the most, I think he's the best teenage defensive midfielder in the world. And it does not surprise me to see that Real Madrid and more are tracking him. I think Arsenal are crying out for him. I think Spurs are crying out for him. I think Man United are. Real Madrid could use him as the Casemiro rotator. I mean, PSG might need to have a look at him given he's in their own backyard and Idrissa Gay is 30. The list, to be fair, may just be every single club. That's how that's how good he is. Yeah, Bayern as well. This is one that, that's always caught my eyes. That you know, Bayern play with three in the middle. They could probably do with some refreshment in that kind of deepest position there. Obviously, we've seen it, it kind of played by a, a variety of people. But if that freed up Thiago and Goretzka to play a little bit further forward, then that's no bad thing either. I think that he'd do a very very good job at Bayern. Dean, where are people looking? Well, I think you've got to look at his uh, valuation first. And pre-coronavirus, we were looking at 60 to 70 million, which obviously you're bringing in a, a certain type of club with that. And that's why there were links, obviously, Madrid, Barcelona, Man City. And, and what I, when I've spoken to people about him over the course of the last few months and just trying to find out like what the real interest is in him, the answer that usually comes back is that to be able to play the position that he does, which... Um, in which you have to have a mix of combativeness and smart thinking is pretty much unreal. Like people just can't believe that he's actually able to combine the traits that are needed at his age to play at the very highest level and be a success. And there seems to be very few flaws to his game already. And that is why Real Madrid particularly are so keen on signing him. If you looked at the the way that Madrid are building for the future. They've almost got a 10-year plan in place already, the way that they're snapping up talent from South America, wherever else they can, of teenagers. And Camavinga is very high on their list. Zidane's completely behind the idea, I'm told, of going after him. And I think that they can probably come up with a smart solution here that allows them to, one, be the ones that sign him, and two, also keep Stadrané happy because the selling club right now obviously do not want to let him go. They finished third in Liga. They had the chance to play Champions League football next season because they will have Champions League qualification game as it stands. Um, the way that the league um, has obviously finished early and the way that they're carving up the division and the places means that they have the chance to be in the Champions League group stages. Now, I think that you can probably strike a deal here and that allows Camavinga to be part of that. And I think that that would probably convince uh, Stadrané to, to go with it because the owners, the billionaires, they, they don't have financial worries. They don't need to sell him. Um, and the player himself, probably quite comfortable with the fact right now at 17 that he's getting such regular football, has been able to help the club um, at such heights, if you like. So I think that a deal that sees him stay where he is right now would probably be a really good path to go down and I'm told that that is probably a path that we're going to see open up Um, also worth considering that the transfer window is probably going to remain open while matches are being played so there might even become a scenario in which he can start the season at Stade Rene 
see if they do make it into the Champions League group stages. If they don't, then maybe the possibility comes that he does move after that stage and moves on. Um, but the likelihood of him actually playing regularly at a club like Real Madrid has to be pretty slim, even though he is really, really good. Um, That's Casemiro's because, there, isn't he? I mean, it's his, exactly it's his role. that. You know, what do you do with Casemiro? You know, he's not, he's not that good that he's going to push Casemiro out of the team at 17. So um, it's really interesting, like Sam says, like, honestly, every club in the world that, that is able to are looking at this guy. He is going to be one of the best talents of the next 10 years we're going to be talking about him regularly once he does get his move um he's he's just superb fantastic well they're the five then Ibrahim Sangara Hussam Awar Victor Osimhen Moussa Dembele and Eduardo Camavinga five talents that you need to watch out for this summer on the verge of elite moves Dean is there anyone else you've heard of that's in this kind of category I mean, there are a few um, we should look out for. Uh, one of the ones that I think Sam probably considered talking about, I'm not sure I'm going to pronounce his name right here, so bear with me, Bubakari Sumari. Have I got that right? Oh, um, maybe. <laughs> yeah, who <laughs> I knows? Know you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sumari at Lille. Exactly, yeah. So uh, another one from Lille. Um, poor old Lille. They, um, <laughs> they produce these players and then they quickly move on. Um, and this is going to be the case with this player. So Newcastle. Um, really looking to sign him. They tried actually in the last transfer window to get him. Um, Madrid have also had a look at him in the past. They see him as a kind of a cheap alternative to Kante, but I'm not sure actually that they are looking to pursue that anymore. Um, I think all those doors are closed right now while they reevaluate their um, their plans. Obviously, if they do go for Camavinga, they probably wouldn't be going down this route anyway. But um, yeah, Newcastle going to move ahead, I'm told, with with a move for him. Um, he's only 21, I believe. Newcastle yeah. obviously about to have a rebuild, and even before they had all this money coming in, we're looking at him. So I think that he's probably one of the ones you can add to this list for players that are going to really become Premier League players. Basically, I like Sumaro for the Premier League a lot. Again, he's got the kind of um, he's got the build um, and the physique for it for sure. Um, if Sangare at the top of the show is a budget Fabinho, then Sumare is a budget Pogba, I would say, um, because he has a a, a, dom- a dominant frame and he has an incredible burst of pace, uh, strong in jewels. He's, uh, he's got a really nice soft touch and technique. Uh, those through balls that I was talking about with Aussie men where he latches onto them, very often it's Sumare that plays those. Um, I do like him a lot. He's actually an, another PSG youth product. You know, the guys we talk about on this show, Musa Dembele for one, but you know, we've, we've sung the praises of, of Musa Diabe and uh, Christopher Nkunku. You know, is PSG like serious, serious youth production? I mean, they don't use any of them, but wow, do they produce these players. And Sumari has had to go to Lille to get his game time. It sounds like he's going to become a Premier League player. I think he's really well suited for him. And I, I did, if it was a list of six, he'd have been in it. The other one that springs to mind, Dean, is Gabriel Magalhaes. Is, is there kind of talk about him coming to the Premier League as well? Absolutely, yeah. Another Lille player. Um, <laughs> defender this time. Everton and Chelsea have been looking uh, closely at him and Everton have moved so far ahead of this that um, it's almost a done deal now, so I'm told. Um, there have already been reports um, over the last week or so of this one uh, going through and, and I've checked it out and absolutely Everton continuing to just tie down the details of it, basically. They think the fee will be just under £30 million. Um, he's only 22 Brazilian that Everton, I mean, one of those clubs actually that I probably should mention that will be very active in the transfer window. They're going to be ambitious, but they have 
obviously a very smart scouting network and um, with Carlo Ancelotti at the helm as well they have that lure of, of possible big things to come so he's been um, yeah he's been tapped up as a player that they think is going to absolutely help them progress to the next level and as I say, the, the French production line right now is so impressive and there's there's good reason that all these clubs are turning to Ligue 1 right now, not only because um, there's going to be good value, but the quality is so high. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, Dean Jones. Sam, we haven't done one of these in a while, but I'm going to chuck this to Stu Holden. <laughs> That is indeed the nonsense siren. You haven't heard it for a while, but it is back. And that means that it's time for you, Sam, to give us a nonsense. Uh, yeah, haven't done the nonsense for a little while, actually. Uh, about time we got, to, got, 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 got down to business on this one. So, well, I've got three new skills that I've learned during the pandemic. Now, obviously, people are talking about how they're using this time. Maybe some people have been furloughed off work. Maybe some people are, are working from home. They're trying to use their time wisely. They're trying to learn a new language. They may be learning the piano or something like that. Well, I, I am no different. I have learned three new skills, and I would argue these skills are more useful than any of your linguistics or new musical acumen. So at number three, I have learned how to successfully hop my neighbor's fence because my cats keep trying to escape and I have to go and get them back. Um, they are house and or indoor cats, and they're not really supposed to roam outside freely. I do let we do let them out, and and when we're outside, but they're not allowed to go into other people's gardens because they have it's something to do with the breed. But they basically will really, really, really struggle to get back. Now it may be that they know what they're doing and they just hate me, but I'm not really ready to accept that just yet. So I've had to hop the fence a couple of times to retrieve my cat from my neighbor's garden. I've really got that technique down. Uh, number two, I've learned how to stock a freezer to a truly elite level. Now, this is a talent because it's all about the shapes and the packing and trying to find gaps for little things like ice creams or uh, scotch pancakes or crumpets or things like that. You know, whatever you need to fit down the sides. It's like the art of doing like a pick and mix where you end up filling in all of the gaps with the smaller suites so that you can get more for your money. And given the fact that we've been doing shopping in bulk, we don't really want to go to the supermarket very often. So we'll try and go once every two weeks and we'll buy a hell of a lot of food. I have learned how to stock a freezer, chock full of food, and it's all packed in superbly. I'm really proud of that because I've traditionally been quite bad at it. But the number one skill I've learned is how to boil an egg. Now, what? Ama amazingly, I... Yeah, no, Dean, I, I, I'm worried about him too. I mean, oh I have... I, at age 30 in a month, I boiled my first egg uh, Saturday. Oh. First time I'd ever done it. Never done it before. Why? Why have you I never had to do that? Well, because well, I was never taught to do it as a kid because we didn't really eat them. And um, I've never really chosen to eat boiled eggs. I mean, I'll, I'll, mm. I'll eat them. I'll eat them fried if I, if I I'll eat, well, I'll eat them poached if I can. I just can't be bothered to do it. Um, so I'll eat them fried. I've just never boiled an egg. So, mm. I mean, guess who? A guess boiled who's got egg a new with dippy soldiers. A boiled egg with dippy soldiers is one of life's greatest pleasures. Yeah, I just like I was never fed it as a kid, so you just never think to do it as an adult. I mean, you, you take those you take those experiences with you or whatever, you know, just and, and I yeah, just decided to, basically I made a ramen noodle soup. And um you well, you can you can put basically like half a boiled egg in there, obviously, to give it a bit of creaminess, and I decided to do it. Um, I'll be honest, I overcooked the egg um, because because I'd did. never done it before. Rookie. So I didn't really know what to do, but I'm learning. Fantastic. Amazing. Well, well done, finally. You never, 
you never fail to amaze me and I never fail to worry about you. <laughs> you know, I, as I put on Twitter, I worry about you every yeah. day. Yeah. And the fact that you'd never boiled an egg before this year was, you know, testament to that fact. Yeah, well, at least, at least, you know, at least, you know, that like in quarantine, I'm not really allowed out of my house. I can't go in the wild. No one can hurt me. I should be safe indoors. Anyway, I'm off to make a boiled egg and dippy soldiers. All that's left me to do is say thank you to Sam Ty. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Thank you to Dean Jones. Nice one, mate. Thanks. I've been Jack Collins. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please make sure you share it with your friends, family, anyone that might like to know a little bit more about the talents that you need to have an eye on next year. This has been BR Football Ranks. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. 